welcome into Overtime Radio. Thank you for joining us here on this Friday, December 11th. We're live over Zoom once more. I'm Tom Krasnowski along with Jordan Wolf, and this is Overtime. Now, Jordan, first things first, it's the holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, last night was the first night. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I, I totally forgot about it until I was reminded by some of my other Jewish friends that it was the first night. So we have a menorah in our kitchen. We lit it up. It's one candle so far. You light up the candle for each of the eight days that you celebrate Hanukkah or Hanukkah or Hanukkah. I'm very glad I get to say that. Um, I don't really do much else besides saying the name of the holiday. So uh, happy out. But who for people who do do something else for it, happy Hanukkah. Um, you know, just celebrate the good times in the Jewish culture. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. 2020 has been tough, but holiday yeah. season is right, is right here. So let's celebrate, right? Let's celebrate. Let's go. Let's do yeah. it. So uh, the New York Giants defeated the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 12 on Sunday to remain in first place of the NFC East. Still being five and seven, is there something you'd like to see out of the Giants? Something I want to see is them to keep doing what they're doing. They have uh, totally convinced me that they've turned the tables and are ready to start winning. And they've do- they're doing it in an unconventional way in that we've talked about how uh, I- I've almost seen the Giants as like a dumbed down version of the Colts or the Niners where they're going to win on defense and run game and they kind of have a game manager at quarterback. And you can still win games that way. It's not the preeminent way to win in today's NFL, but you can win. I mean, the Niners were in the Super Bowl and uh, the Colts are eight and four. So you can win games that way. And the Giants just prove they can beat a good team. So just keep doing what they're doing. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were able to win that game without Daniel Jones, I mean, it's not like he was great anyway. We still have questions about whether or not he was the guy, but you certainly didn't expect them to win really even with him. And they were able to win without him. And that's just such a, a check mark on the resume of Patrick Graham. It's a win for Joe Judge. It's a win for Dave Gettleman. I mean, Jordan, you were watching the game, and you know, I'm sure you were going nuts with with, with uh, it came down to the wire there, and they, the defense got some got some pressure. I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? How did you feel right after? I felt really relieved, and I just felt overall sense of excitement for what's next to come. The one thing I personally would like to see is a little bit more improvement in the passing game when Daniel Jones comes back, because I know the Giants don't really have a top-wide receiving target, but I know that if they're looking for playoff aspirations, a lot of teams are going to start to try to test that run game to see how deep it can go, and the Giants have to prove that they could also throw it as well. But I'm so impressed with this team, the fight they have, the resilience, the way they come back. It's 17-12. to It wasn't a 17-12 to game. They held the Seahawks, a really potent offense that can average about 30 points a game, to a safety and a field goal. So this defense, whatever they're doing, they seem to really believe what Patrick Graham has brought out there to them. I remember James Betcher was supposed to be that guy. Oh, no. James Betcher's probably in the mail, uh, the post office room right now. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> funny. Graham is that guy. Ben McAdoo got another job somehow. Pat Shermer got another job somehow. James Bencher still does not have another job. So what does that tell you about uh, the Giants' former defensive coordinator? But, it tells um, me that James Bencher is currently probably in a bodega or, or a hotel lobby assistant. You know, about that pass game, you know, I think the big takeaway for me too from these last couple of games is that how improved the offensive line has been. Because early in the season, we still knew the Giants were going to be run heavy, ideally with Saquon Barkley, who injured himself and became out for the season. But – defenses were stacking the box. There were eight in the box at times and Barkley, even the super skilled Saquon Barkley had no room to operate. The line wasn't making holes. 
Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris certainly aren't Saquon Barkley. The fact that they can put up multiple touchdowns and a hundred yard games between them, you know, if they're doing that, that means the offensive line is creating holes. And I don't think there was a ton of pressure on McCoy in that game either, to be honest, either. I know the Seattle's pass rush isn't the greatest, but even still, they kept the pocket clean for the most part. And even the last couple of games with Jones, that was the case. So the O-line has really started to improve with that odd rotation they do at times. It doesn't seem to make sense, but it, it, it's, it's working. And same thing with the defense. Like, they don't have the players, um, per se, other than a couple of guys. It's a scheme, though. This scheme pressure with Patrick Graham, it's like they get pressure out of everyone buying into the system. Everyone knows where they have to be. And I think the big thing here, Jordan, there's no Curtis Riley's or Craig Dahl's or, or Brandon Merriweather's that are just running around, not knowing what to do on defense. Like everyone here knows their assignment. They stick to it. They do it. They tackle their man. They play a heck of a lot of zone. The giants aren't reinventing the wheel on defense, but they, they, they buy in they do it well like it's so cliche but it's working yeah man I, I, I again and do anything you can to keep Patrick Graham here give him give him free pancakes everywhere he goes in New Jersey okay give him free breakfast give him a free haircut I, I don't want that man to leave the state of New Jersey more money <laughs> okay give him anything this man is a genius he's figured out something I, I didn't expect him at all to figure out and that's how for the Giants to play competent defense. And I have to say that Daniel Jones has played his best portion of football for this season before he got hurt. He really seemed to figure it out and really turn the corner. Whereas before people were starting to really turn on him and not be sure if he was the guy and Colt McCoy, he imagined himself in a Texas uniform. And when that happens, Colt McCoy can be an asshole for you instead. McCoy really wasn't good. He barely had a hundred yards. He had a pick that wasn't his fault, admittedly. And, uh, you know, but he game managed. He game managed. You know what? That's all I need from Colt McCoy. I, I don't need him to th- uh, throw a Hail Mary, chuck and duck pass from Mahomes and down the field, okay? I yeah. just need the man to make competent, smart throws and be able to elevate the weapons around him, which is exactly what happened in that Seattle game. So, I mean, you know, even still, if they want to talk about weapons for the Giants, it is an area you mentioned earlier that could use some improvement. Uh, Evan Engram. He's the team's best weapon, but then every week he drops a ball that turns into a pick or he fumbles. It happens every week, and it has cost the team at least one win against Jeez. Philly, and it almost cost them the Seattle game with, you know, with that pick. Uh, that was his fault. Shepard's a number two. He's, he doesn't even have 10, 100-yard games in his career. He doesn't get a ton of touchdowns, but he's reliable. You know, Golden Tate, same kind of deal. Number two, number three, reliable. Slayton has really fallen off. Uh, from that start he had probably because there's not as much of a deep threat he's a deep threat kind of guy and McCoy's not going to bomb it downfield so the Giants could use more weapons in the past game I agree moving forward but for this year they seem to have established what their identity is and what works and because that's the takeaway at the beginning of the season we didn't know what this team was going to be other than run the ball with Saquon but now they have an identity and it's it's defense right (laughs) Exactly. This team is a lot like the Browns, actually, with a much better defense. The Browns run the ball a lot. They have a two-horse system with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb that really works for them. And then Baker Mayfield showed, yeah, I can throw four touchdowns and a half. Just ask me when and I'll do it. For the Giants' sake, we haven't seen Daniel Jones do that, but we've seen the running game, which some to me is so hard to get going in the, today's NFL got going every single week by a guy in Wayne Gallman who's really proving himself to be a valuable asset for 
next year's team and hopefully get more carries because this man has become such a force getting almost 100 yards in the last what three or four games and then he's making Alfred Morris look good the the shambles of Alfred Morris from the Washington football team looking good so that's what I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the Giants like just like you said continuing this momentum hopefully playing another good football game against the very inconsistent Arizona team that's been playing their worst football of the season so couple of million dollar questions here I'm going to raise and they lead into each other. The first one's about a player. It's Leonard Williams, who was the NFC defensive player of the week, two and a half sacks. He got a career high in sacks. Uh, he hit the quarterback a lot last year, but didn't actually get the sacks. He couldn't finish. Uh, and he was just late this year. He's capitalizing. He's turning them into a sack and a loss of yardage and, and keep the clock running. And it's a, his best individual season. He's due to hit free agency. If the Giants tagged him last year, he was called crazy for asking for 80 to $100 million over a four- or five-year deal. But I think right now he's kind of in indis- indistinguishable part of this Giants defense. You can't go on without him. They might have to pay up to keep him. And I think at this point it's probably worth it. I hate to say it because it seems so outlandish at, at one point. But you know what? People can change and get better. And at this point, Williams is worth what it takes to keep him around. Where would the defense be without him? Right, exactly. The Giants have been craving for that pass rusher that they had yeah. with J. Pierre Paul, Michael Strahan, OCU Minora. So now Leonard Williams is showing that he can be that guy. And as much as I personally would not like to see that much money spent on him, I think it's inevitable, just like you said at this point, because this defense kind of plays and surrounds themselves around his play. He's the man that they go to when they need a big play. Case in point, Cincinnati, Brandon Allen, they had actually had a chance to win the game and made me very nervous. But Leonard Williams was able to get past the offensive line, cause a fumble, have the Giants win that game. Leonard Williams able to sack Russell Wilson in that on some big third and fourth down plays. He has been that guy that you go to when you ask for a big play. So you got to keep him here. He just looks so much more motivated and inspired. The, the type of guy that everyone was saying that he this is going to be this guy. So in the way pass rushers get paid today, I think it's just a necessary thing to keep him around. I mean, Clowney got $12 million, which was less than Williams got this year. Some Giants fans didn't like that. But Clowney, no sacks out for the year now. I think he played eight games, no sacks, win for the Giants here. And this is the broader point here now. I think we owe Dave Gettleman an apology, including myself. I think everybody, every Giants fan does. Uh, But I know I do because I trashed him on this show. Uh, But We've all done it, <laughs> to be honest. We've all done it. Called him Crazy Dave, and uh, some of the moves he's done have not worked, but plenty now have. And it's not just the big ones. The big ones help. But he got Martinez and Bradbury on reasonable contracts. Logan Ryan as well. They worked out. The trade for Leonard Williams is probably a bad idea at the time, but they kept him around. And on the, the trade might have been bad, but the contract they gave him has worked out. And, you know, the, the franchise tag, that's worked out. And even the, the unherited guys. The Jabal Sheards of the world, the Nico Laloses of the world, the Tay Crowders of the world, who's Mr. Irrelevant, last man picked in the draft. Everybody is making a play. Even Jabril Peppers, who was the big piece for Odell Beckham Jr. in that trade, him and Zeitler. Peppers, he's playing the best ball of his career, too. So a lot of Gettleman's moves, pretty much all of them this offseason, have worked. Even a cornerback when they lost DeAndre Baker. And they brought in Isaac Yadam. And at first, he was, what, a seventh-round pick they gave up for him? He's holding his own. Like, everyone on this team that is, is, is working out. And the offensive line that he promised to fix three times 
it's looks the best that ever has in, you know, in five, 10 years. So uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Dave Gettleman. I'm sorry for saying I could do my job better than you. You did have a tough start at, at the beginning. Absolutely. But uh, they stuck with you and some of the moves haven't been the greatest, but so many have been lately that uh, I think Dave Gettleman barring retirement deserves to say the Giants GM next year. There's no reason to move on now. It's working. Uh, oh, uh, it is working, but uh, for me, I'm going to say yes and no. I owe him an apology for what I've seen on the field this year, but I don't think I owe him an apology for the drafting that he's done in the past few years and what we've seen the past few years under his regime for the Giants. It's been some of the worst football that we've seen as Giants fans before. Yeah, but that was transitional a lot of it too. Now it's here. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is with the whole Patrick Graham and Joe Judge coaching. I, I would go more he to hired them. He did. I feel like Mar. Uh, the Mars absolutely do have a say in it, yeah. With that, but Judge brought on Patrick Graham, and then Judge was hired by Mara, and then those two have gotten the best out of this very similar roster that we've seen this year with Pat Shermer and James Betcher when they coached. So. I, I'm going to say I owe Dave Gellman an apology for getting the best out of players that I didn't expect to get the best out of this year. But at the same time, I'm not, I don't want to apologize to him for the past failures. Well, sir, you know, this is the thing with New Yorkers and you know, like the guy's winning, the guy is doing his job better than he has. And like, th- that's not complicated. There's so many GMs and coaches in the NFL that aren't winning. And those are the guys that have to get, you know, on the line jobs on the line. If you have something that's working, you, got, you stick with it. It's just common sense. It, it's, it seems wild to propose that it's happening, but it's happening. And, uh, you know, they, he deserves massive credit for that. Judge is the one that works with the players and makes it happen. But Gettleman's the guy who assembles it. And those first couple of years, he hadn't done his full-on assembly. He was disassembling and, and, and you know, reassembling, if you will, and building. And now he has the guys and Judge was a great fit. And, Absolutely, the mayors have some say, a lot of say, but Gettleman's the guy at the end of the day who's the GM. You know, it's hmm. he deserves he deserves better from Giants fans. I hate I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's he does. He's earned it. Hmm. The Giants could make the playoffs. They're playing they December can. football, oh, yeah. Yeah. meaningful December football. Don't change things up now. No, no, I, I agree with that. You got to don't fix whatever is working. But uh, I, I don't know. There's something in me that is like. I, I like want to agree with you and I partially do, but at the same time, I, I just can't forget what I've seen the past three years. So it wouldn't surprise me if the giants decide, you know what, let's keep the similar roster. Let's go get a guy that Joe judge really wants and him partner with him. That's so, not how football works. It's not how management works. There's a guy on top of him. You know, it's, it's, it's organizational structure. We'll, we'll so, see what happens. I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Gettleman is not the GM after well, this. Boring retirement, because he is approaching 70s. He's, he's a cancer survivor. There's a COVID environment. Mm-hmm. I, and he's just, he's, you know, he's been around football for a lifetime. I wouldn't blame him if he ever wanted to just, when he wants to retire, he wants to retire. But, yeah. you know, yeah. it wouldn't be that forced retirement that we thought might might happen <laughs> well, this has uh, a lot of this has a lot of um similarities to that carolina roster that he got to the super bowl they weren't yeah. necessarily like absolute in world beaters they had cam newton have his best they were 15 and one they absolutely were okay wait i'm sorry i'm saying like the what i mean by that is like they had names that like you didn't necessarily know but then True. you got to know throughout the course of the season that's what i meant True. to say so Josh yeah. Norman is one of them, and Coney so is Carlo Tulele. So, yeah. yes, Coney Ely as well. So Yeah, definitely a few. Um, one more thing on this game before we move out of it. 
let's talk about the Seattle perspective of things because uh, I don't like what I'm hearing from them. I don't, I, it's, it's, a, it's a damaging uh, signal that Pete Carroll basically after the game said, I don't know how this happened. How did this happen? And then uh, Sha- uh, Shaq Griffith, Griffith, the cornerback, saying today, yesterday, um, the Giants, uh, we, we underestimated them. We didn't take them seriously enough. Like, what? That's not, that's not, that's not NFL. You can't say you weren't, you know, you didn't take them seriously. That, that's just silly. And that's a lack of preparation. And that shows that Seattle is nothing more than a first or second round team. They just, something's missing there. I wonder if Pete Carroll's been there a little too long because they have the talent to compete, but they just don't have what it takes to go all the way. And I don't like the signs I'm seeing uh, in the media uh, from Griffith talking to the media too. Yeah. Uh, Pete Carroll seems to have this obsession with bringing back Ken Norton jr. Like three times. And every time he's been there, that defense has always slid into very mismanageable habits of letting big plays happen of letting big things happen. And overall, not re- this year, not having a pass rush is huge for how it's been for them throughout the rest of the season. So what's happening in Seattle is like I said before, I think we're seeing, finally seeing that this roster is not as good as you think it is and russell wilson's play has masked that to the point where no one's paying as much attention to that as they are to russell wilson's play now russell wilson's play is dipping so now you can pay attention to everything else around him and say you know what this is one of the most beatable seattle teams i've seen in a long time and that's because guess what the giants they realize that DK Metcalf is still a monster. They realize that Tyler Lockett can go off anytime he wants. They realize that Chris Carson is a solid running back in this league. But if you come up with a game plan and Seattle doesn't really want to take you seriously or prep for you, you can beat them. They're beatable. So yeah, Griffin said they took the Giants lightly. That was the exact quote. And that's yeah. just that's you can't do that at the high school level. That's like ingrained in you from football from an early on, you know, year years is you cannot underestimate your opponent. You have to treat them all like they could, any given Sunday. It's the NFL's tagline, you know, any given Sunday. You have, just That's what happens when you underestimate them. And that goes for any team. So bad, bad vibes from Seattle uh, doing that. I didn't, I didn't like to see that from, from their perspective. But Yeah, uh, um, you're a Seattle fan. You, you should be very worried right now you, because every year going to this time, Seattle usually has this switch where they turn it on and they're coasting into the playoffs. That is not the case this year. They are fighting for their lives. Their backs are against the wall, and they got to prove a lot to a lot of people. So You know who else uh, is guilty of underestimating an opponent? You. No, no, no. I'm uh, not, not at all. You thought I was going <laughs> to – no, that's not a self-roast. They're not even close. I don't even know what you'd think that would happen. The, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they underestimated their opponent. Yes. Boston football team. And uh, a bigger win, quite frankly, than even the Giants win because uh, – at that point, the Giants had already won. So Washington had to win to stay alive, essentially, in the NFC East. And they had a tougher opponent, an undefeated opponent. And they found a way to win. So it's a bigger win moving forward, even for, uh, for Washington. Very impressive. But something about this Washington team, it, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a lesser version of the Giants. They win with defense. They have a pass rush, which the Giants don't really, but they've had it lately. Um, and they win with that and and... It's not the run game. It's this very short passing dink and dunk offense. Uh, Alex Smith, I understand why he's so uh, unable to throw the ball deep, but he's averaging, he's averaging five air yards per attempt. And plenty of them are at the line of scrimmage. If you watch the game, it's not hard to figure out this Washington offense, but their guys are shifty. 
you know, McKissick and McLaurin is their one deep threat they have when Smith does air it out. Um, Sims made a nice catch. Like this Washington team, it's still not as good as the Giants because they don't have enough talent there. But I give them worlds of credit because Pittsburgh has played so many close games this year. We talked about it for weeks already. And finally, somebody took care of it. And of all the teams, it was Washington. So what was the most impressive thing or the biggest takeaway from that game from your end? For me, it was just the fact that they were able to finish it out and close it out. Because when we saw them play the Giants, they tried creative ways to close it out. They had that fumble recovery from Tay Crowder in the second game that cost them. Then they had that two-point conversion with Kyle Allen where that didn't really necessarily work out. So this time they were able to make all the plays necessary. They were able to keep Pittsburgh off their toes, it seems like. And Pittsburgh was never really able to get a form, an offensive Pittsburgh was never able to get themselves off the ground and they did make some questionable calls themselves. Like they went to Anthony McFarland on a fourth and one when they had Juju Smith Schuster, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson to probably throw to, to make an easy complete uh, conversion. So they went to Anthony McFarland instead. So like you said, I will agree with you that some of it was for them beating themselves, but the definition of this Washington team is diamonds in the rough. Case in point. Number one is Antonio Gibson. The man scored three touchdowns on Thanksgiving against the very, bad Cowboys, historically bad Cowboys defense, but he still has been providing a solid running game for that team, which I didn't expect. He goes down, then you're able to rely on J.D. McKissick and Peyton Barber to carry the slack, and it actually worked out. And then you're seeing plays made by Cam Sims and even Steven Wright and Steven Sims at some points. And you're seeing plays made by Terry McLaurin, who is the heart and soul of that team. And Alex Smith is able to give it everything that he has at this point of his career. So this Washington team is the definition of diamonds in the rough, gritty and like you said the Steelers did beat themselves a little bit so the impressiveness for me was the Washington football team's ability to close the game out that's what Ron Rivera wanted to do all along is win he's been talking about that all season long and he did that in that game yeah I respect the Washington as a game plan they stick to it and it seems to be working it just it seems to be a one-hit wonder kind of thing I mean how many times McKissick had 10 catches in the game and they were all I mean you watched it they were all right there at the line of scrimmage like how many times eventually a defense with a linebacker or a secondary is going to stop that and uh, defense though. I mean, it's, it keeps Washington in it. Great rush defense. They, and they pass the quarter, uh, they, they rush the passer well, but something about, I just, it, it's not even biased. The giants just have better players than Washington does. And I think they're in better shape because they got it together faster. And because they're not relying on a very injured Alex Smith either, which it's great that he's three and one, but he's also not lighting the world on fire. I think every Washington fan knows they they're, they're getting whatever they can out of him, you know? So I, I feel better about the giants, but Washington got the bigger win. And I think it's going to apply some pressure on the giants now to keep winning. They can't coast. Now they got Washington somehow improbably on their back, you know, and even Philly, if they win two games, Philly would go back into first place. If they can get, make up those two games, it's still possible it's not going to happen, but it's it's not out of reach for any of those teams. So the Giants, they can't let their foot off the gas. Certainly not. And Philly just went to Jalen Hurts, so maybe that's the spark that they've needed all along. And for Washington, they just seem like a very tough team that's going to be in every single game. You're right. They are a worse injured version of the Giants. I completely agree with you. I still think the Giants are better. They have better overall talent and overall better sense of winning um, against better – well, okay. They, they just seem better than the Washington football team from what I've seen. So – yeah, slight edge to New York. Um, elsewhere, some real playoff teams, Saints, Chiefs, Steelers, all clinch playoff spots. Who have you been most impressed with over the last few weeks out of that bunch? 
easy. I could say the Saints because of how they've been able to been to win without Drew Brees and how well their defense has picked up the slack and played. But I'm going to say the Kansas City Chiefs because it is so hard in the NFL to do something once and then be able to repeat the same formula that you're doing at an even better level. That's exactly what the Chiefs are doing. This year, they look even better than they did last year. Patrick Mahomes is throwing darts like you've never seen before. He just continues to innovate and make ridiculous plays. Travis Kelsey is having another monster season, torturing defenses and being in the matchup nightmare that he is. Tyree Kills being that deep threat that the Chiefs have wanted all along. The defense, slightly worse, but I'm still impressed with how convincing they are even with I know the Broncos game wasn't as convincing as it could have been but they've been so convincing all season long that this team is a juggernaut and a titan in the AFC you know the Chiefs are the best team in football but they're not running away with it they're not better than they were last year I think that's an oversight uh on on, on your end and maybe buy into the media because I think uh, the Chiefs there have been some concerning signs that's why I'm not going to pick them for this um the Broncos game wasn't good the Buccaneers game, they only won by three, despite having total control. Um, the Raiders game, only won by four. Panthers game, only won by two. And these are all on a row here. Uh, there is a Jets blowout and a Broncos blowout. Congratulations. They barely beat the Bills. They lost to the Raiders. I'm just going up the schedule here. Like, there's not a ton of convincing victories here for, for the Chiefs. And, yeah, they're still getting the wins, and they're still better than the Steelers, and Mahomes is still the best QB in the league. But something about them. Just this year, they're not as dominant as they were last time around. They're just not as they're not as dominant, but they're still the best team in the league. But I, I do I do draw the line when 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 it's said sometimes that they're better. I don't think they have gotten better. Um, so I'm going to go Saints, the team that's impressed me the most over this because uh, they've lost Drew Brees, who wasn't really elevating them that much to begin with at this point of his career, and they've been just as fine without him. And the defense has totally stepped up for the Saints. Uh, the Saints defense at the beginning of the season was pretty abysmal, giving up uh, a lot of points to uh, the likes of uh, Green Bay and and uh, there's the Tampa Bay game, uh, Atlanta. But the Saints now, they've won, what is it, eight? One, two, three. Yeah, they've won eight straight games. And uh, over that stretch, defense has only allowed, has not allowed 20 points in a game since the Bears game back on November 1st. So wow. the Saints defense, yeah. is, uh, it stepped up, and that, that's why they're where they are. If Breeze and Hill aren't what they used to be or what they need to be, the defense has to step up, and the Saints defense has done that. They have the guys. They're finally doing it. It's why I've been most impressed with the Saints. I had no idea. I could not tell you they were going to win eight in a row, but here we are. They, they have a phenomenal record right now, and, yes, I will agree with you they're on a roll, and that defense just seems to be playing the best of all they've played all season long. But the reason why I'm going to say the Chiefs is just solely on the fact that, like, we've seen it. Like, with Kyler Murray and with Lamar Jackson, you're seeing that there's a formula that you're starting to figure out and how to beat them. And with Mahomes, even if you think there's a formula, he's just still being able to do the same exact things he's been doing last year. Sure, the wins haven't been as dominating or they've been a lot closer games, but the Chiefs are still at the top of their game as I think they are. So they are. It's I, I mean, certainly their best team, but – it hasn't been quite as dominant as last year, but you know, until someone stops you, there, you know, there you are. Um, the Steelers, we can agree, not the most impressive of that bunch. No, not at all. That team might be one of the worst 11 one teams I've personally ever seen. I, I don't, I just think they've been getting some over the head performances from everyone on their roster. And the defense has had a lot of loss of injuries, which include 
Bud Dupree, one of them, and I can't remember who else on that defense was out. But what I'm saying, yes, that's a big one too in their secondary. So I think right now their whole thing is they're going to probably win and be completely fine for the playoffs, but they're going to have to weather the storm. It's not going to be easy. Again, they're going to play a lot more close games. Yeah, and close games is what playoffs are. And they've won most of them, but now the loss, we'll see how they respond to that. Uh, the Ravens, team in the division, they haven't hit their stride. Uh, they did get a win over over Dallas that they kind of needed to just to stay alive. And um, concerning for the NFL, I think, in that game, Des Bryant test positive before the game. He was inconclusive. Then uh, they tested him again. He was positive. Uh, they smartly didn't let him play, thank goodness. But he's on the field hugging people before the game. Excuse me. And uh, he's it's, – it's embarrassing. If you have an inconclusive test, the guy can't be there. You don't know what inconclusive means. Until you know it's negative, he can't be on the field. This is why the Ravens had 30 positive tests. The NFL's protocol, the Ravens aren't following it. The NFL's not strict enough on it. It's like, how, how stupid does one organization have to be? How many positive tests do the Ravens need before they get a grip on this? It just, it's, it's baffling. And Des Bryant, he's not a game breaker anymore. And in fact, he's really only relevant at this point because of what he had done. It was going to be a game against the Cowboys. I still wanted to see it and, and, you know, we didn't get to see it. And now I don't care if Des Bryant doesn't play anymore. Like he said on Twitter, no, I don't care about that. He's 30 something years old and hasn't played effectively in years. I do care, but the Ravens and the NFL just can't seem to get a grip on this stuff. If it's inconclusive, you got to pull them out until you know for sure. Otherwise you're risking people on the Ravens and on the Cowboys. It's just baffling. I got to yeah. get off my chest. No, you're, you're right about that. And it reminds me a lot of the Justin Turner situation in the yes. World Series when his yes. test was inconclusive and he t- tested positive mid-game and no one knew about this till right after the Dodgers won the World Series, right after Dodgers won the World Series. Then he came back on the field, celebrated with his teammates and put everyone else in jeopardy. So that this is what that reminds me of. But in the sense for Des Bryant, like you said, I agree with you in the sense that he is not a game breaker anymore. And if he wants to walk away... The Ravens have proved that they can be just fine without him. They can find ways in their running game to win, even though it was against, again, a historically bad Cowboys defense. Maybe that's the game they needed to get themselves back on their feet. But usually I don't agree with what Des Bryant says. And it was ironic because before the game, I was watching an interview with him and Tony Gonzalez, and they were talking about how mature he has become and, and how much he was looking forward to seeing him play in that Cowboys game. And the fact that he wasn't able to is quite ironic and it's quite, showing the problems the NFL has with their protocols and testing itself. And now Des Bryant it went on this whole Twitter rant about quitting and, and he tested negative twice in a row and he's not excited about it. So the NFL opened a can of worms in Des Bryant and they also exposed themselves and their protocols for maybe how efficient they really are. So it's a, a big, big problems that they have right now. Ironic humor seen online. It's a little, it's a little in poor taste, but it did make me smirk. Des caught it as in COVID this time. He man, caught that's, it. That's, that, that's a low blow, man. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it, but it that's, made me smirk. Uh, that's a low. Uh, I, I think we could have refrained from that one, from yeah. whoever said that. But uh, it's somewhat, yeah, you know how it is on Twitter. But I saw it, and I was like, you know, do we have to be? But then it made me smirk a little bit, because you know how Des caught it was such a big deal. Um, he probably did catch that ball, to be honest. But uh, of course he did. And, and the NFL just doesn't know what a catch is. Now they do, but at that point they didn't. Yeah. Um, moving forward, the Jets, I guess it's moving back because it was a couple of days earlier. 
the Jets are embarrassing themselves in the NFL right now. They are so blatantly tanking. It's not even funny. And uh, I, I watched the end of that game with the, the Raiders. I just got off a men's basketball call with Quinnipiac. I came down the stairs and um, I saw this game and I couldn't believe what I was watching. What, what on earth the Jets were thinking. And yeah, they fired Greg Williams. Ooh, you know, that, that, that's supposed to mean, oh, we didn't, you know, we wanted to, we, we don't know what he was thinking. There was a bad call. You absolutely knew what you were doing. Stats and info from ESPN has tracked more than 200 instances of end game Hail Mary situations, final 15 seconds. And on none of them, the, the, the uh, defensive coordinator sent an all out blitz. It's just silly. You wouldn't see a middle school team do that. This isn't even one of those instances where I could say, if it worked, he's a genius because it was never going to work. NFL quarterbacks are too smart for that. If they see pressure, they know they got to get the ball out quick, hit the guy who's going deep. This is what you do. You just loft it up there. And sure enough, the corner played terrible coverage on that play too. If you notice that, the cornerback was a total scrub on the play. He was probably in on it. The Jets are so blatantly losing on purpose. And like, I have a complicated relationship with tanking because trust the process. I have a complicated relationship with it. It's a little different in basketball when you only need one or two stars and it's a lot easier to pull off. In football, you need at least 22 good players all over. It's really hard to tank in the NFL and pull it off. And especially with such a large roster, it's not as much a me first league like the NBA is. It's a team game. You know, the Jets, they could have went one and 15 and still gotten the first overall pick in all likelihood. They lost that game on purpose. It was embarrassing. Thoughts? Uh, there so many thoughts run through my head. A lot of them that you said, I just, this is, you remember how Montrez Harrell um, went to the Lakers and it was a whole screw you to the Clipper. That's exactly what Greg Williams did with Adam Gase. His whole mission when he went to the jets from the Browns was I run the defense. Adam Gase runs the offense. They stay out of each other's way. But as time has gone on, their relationship is so dysfunctional and toxic. And it went down to the team. And I don't think the team cares anymore. And they just don't seem like they really want to play. And they just want to seem like they want to start over and get the season done with. That call by Greg Williams was the ultimate screw you to Adam Gase. I think Greg Williams never had any respect for Adam Gase. I think also Adam Gase is a terrible coach myself. But that was still a really bad call in that situation. Marcus May put it perfectly. We can try our best, but you got to help us out too. And they had no help from that call. I mean, Derek Carr, after the game, saying he was thankful that they blitzed him. That's the, that's the biggest line I've ever seen. He was thankful that he got a cover zero blitz, and they essentially gave the Raiders that game because they played really hard. They played very hard, probably the hardest game they played besides that Patriots game all season long. So they are playing hard. It's just I, I can't fully say if they're losing, or before that I wasn't going to fully say if they're losing on purpose, but that game – and the way they, in which they lost that game, that call completely tells me that they are tanking for number one. And there's no other way to say it than that. Yeah. So when we say they are tanking for number one, some of the players, like you said, may some, I mean, maybe some of them that are sticking around. But, you know, if you go 0-16, there's no guarantee you're going to be back anyways. The players do want to play hard and win. But clearly it's ownership and it's coaching want to tank for number one because some of these guys are still going to be around. And you know, that puts a lot of pressure on Lawrence, first of all. He's probably going to be the number one overall pick. It's really hard to win with just one guy in the NFL. It's the ultimate team game in that way, kind of like hockey is the other ultimate team game. It's, you can't tank in those sports, really. It's harder to do than it is in basketball. And just, like, it's dumb and dumber, uh, Gase, Gase and uh, Williams. And and now dumber is out the door, and that just leaves dumb left with Gase. And, uh, I mean, he's going to be – he better be gone 
soon, but it's like it's an order from above. Jets ownership from above is saying lose this game. And uh, that's, that's, a bad, that's a bad environment for the players. It is. But again, it go, it, it, the players are pawns in the dysfunctional relationship that was Greg Williams and Adam Gase. And, that, and Greg Williams just had enough. He, that was his final straw. He left it on that. He probably knew he was going to get fired. I don't know if he gets another job again because I don't know how many. Or not. Are, I don't know how many teams want to trust that man after no. that. But that was just the ultimate sign of I don't respect you. I don't like how you coach. I'm done. In That's case you forgot, which I know you didn't, but in case other people have, this is the man who is guilty of a bounty gate scandal, which involved giving people players bonuses for injuring other members of the uh, members of other teams. And Williams has gotten what two or three jobs since then. He, the man, man has traveled around. He went to the Browns, I believe the Jets, and before that maybe the Rams. I think I don't know if he was somewhere else or not, but at least two jobs, possibly three. It's it's inexcusable. I don't know how that man can get, keep getting jobs, and he better not anymore. You got a guy who loves to injure players on purpose and is now tanking on purpose. He's just. He's what's wrong with football culture every once in a while. I'm going to be honest, knowing the NFL and how greedy they are and for headlines, I wouldn't be surprised if the, he gets another one. Let's talk about one of his old teams, the Browns, because uh, the Giants have him in a couple of weeks, and that game got flexed to Sunday Night Football, believe it or not. Um, and the Browns, they're 9-3. and three. They win the games they should win. They've had a light schedule, but that's not a penalty if you win the games you should win. And uh, Mayfield. He's been better than last year. Still not elite, but he's been better than last year, right around probably NFL average. You know, he's a guy you can win with if he has some help, and he's got a little bit of help this year. They're winning without Odell, which is big for them. You know, like, they still don't scare me, but I still don't see them going out of the first round. But they are a playoff team, and they proved me wrong on that, and I think you too. None of us had them in the playoffs, that's for sure. So I've probably been one of the most biggest – Browns believers that you've probably met and right. this season then I got off the track because I just didn't like what I saw from that Ravens game ever since then I don't know what Kevin Stefanski has done I don't know what he's figured out but it's clearly been something successful because this team is nine and three and I think well on their way to a playoff berth for the first time in 17 years so what I can tell you is that the Browns just win the games they're supposed to. They're probably their best signature win of the season was the one they had against the Titans. Even though the Titans came back in the end, they just look the best that I've seen the Browns look all season long. Probably play one of the best first halves I've seen the Browns play ever. So that credit goes to Stefanski's play design. That credit goes to Baker Mayfield's execution and offensive execution, as well as defensive, not allowing receivers like A.J. Brown or Corey Davis to have big days on them, even though they did in the second half in that first half. So this Browns team wins the games that they're supposed to. They gut it out. It might not be pretty. It might not be what is appealing to the eye, but it's going to get them a playoff berth. It won't make them the playoffs next year. Bold take. They're a one-hit wonder. You think they're a one-hit wonder? Oh, Absolutely. But they're going to make it. They're going to have their one hit. Uh, They're going to be a one-hit wonder. But um, one more spot in the NFC is up for grabs. It actually is very much up for grabs. The Vikings, who we trashed earlier in the year, said they needed to tear it down and rebuild. And they probably still do. But they are 6-6. and They're now in the last playoff spot. The Cardinals are not uh, anymore. They're also 6-6. and the Niners are what six and seven uh, or five and eight. You know they're in the mix, but yeah, not really. So you're looking at Cardinals. You're looking at Vikings for that last spot. Uh, as of right now, who do you think gets it? I think it's the Vikings because I just think right now they're playing their best football, and it's not really about what you've done 
before then it's about right now what team is feeling themselves the best and the Vikings are and the Cardinals aren't do you know how Colin Coward when we saw that segment in class when he was all like what word he has to describe each situation so for this I have three words figure it out that's what the Vikings did Mike Zimmer figured it out in the defensive end for his defense to be able to hold up and be in all the games they've been in the second half of the season Justin Jefferson has exploded and has made that Stefan Diggs trade look not so bad for the Vikings he's been as good as advertised out of LSU Adam Thielen's been making big plays like he's supposed to do Dalvin Cook has had probably one of his best seasons of his career Kirk Cousins hasn't turned the ball over so that team as a collective has figured it out to the point where they're now six and six and as for the Cardinals they have slid Kyler Murray it might be hurt. His shoulder might be a problem. DeAndre Hopkins isn't catching as many balls as he had, but he's still fine. But that defense is sliding. The running game is sliding. Everything around Hopkins is sliding. So uh, to me, that's why I choose the Vikings. Yeah, I'll tell you why the Vikings are going to make the playoffs over the Cardinals. It's the silly reason that on first, but it's really true. Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback right now in 2020 than Kyler Murray. Oh. Kirk Cousins, last six games, 70% completion. 15 TDs to two interceptions. That's that's just terrific. He's airing the ball out, uh, you know, down the field. He's got Jefferson, and they're winning those games. Kyler Murray over that same span. Um, you know, he's coming off a game where he had completed 53% of his passes, had 173 yards. You know, if you make it over that same span, it doesn't look quite as bad. Uh, it looks closer. It's 12 to four touchdown to TDs, which is still pretty good. But if you look at just the last couple of games uh, that they've lost, they've lost uh, four out of five over that stretch. Um, he's only averaging uh, 266 yards per game in the last two, only 170. Uh, he's, his interceptions have gone up. He's, he's been sacked more often than not. It's not all his fault, but he's been sacked a lot. The run game hasn't been as good. Really, the Cardinals, it's been Hopkins and Buda Baker. I saw a Cardinals writer say in a Giants preview piece, no one else in the Cardinals has been consistently above average this year, um, really other than those two guys. It's been very inconsistent. And the Vikings, kind of similar in that way. But Cousins has been better lately. Cook, don't need to say much about how good he is. And uh, Jefferson and the defense is turning around. So I think the Vikings, they find a way, especially if the Giants get a win this week over the Cardinals. You might be talking about Cardinals out and Vikings in. As crazy as that could be. And you proved that Kirk Cousins right now is better than Kyler Murray with all the numbers that he's displayed. For the future, that will change. You can yes, guarantee that. Kyler yes, Murray will be will. better than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I don't love okay. Kirk. I don't love Kirk Cousins. Me either. I don't like I really him. Do. Just, you know, just right now he's doing better. That's the only thing I'm saying. Uh, Kirk, Kirk Cousins is a weird individual, man. <laughs> he, and so is Kyler Murray, but they both are. But Kirk Cousins is weird with the whole "if I die, I die" thing. Yeah, Murray's fans Murray's touch overrated right now a little bit because he's not able to single-handedly turn this team into contention like some people seem to think he could. He needs help, and that's not a bad thing. You know, everybody, every, most quarterbacks do need help unless they're you know world class. Uh, Murray. Last couple of weeks, I've been a little less impressed. They've lost four out of five and uh, three in a row, and he hasn't done enough in those games. Uh, you know, really, the uh, the Hale Murray was the only one they won over that stretch, too. Remember, they probably should have lost that, that game. That game was incredible. That was one of the best games of the season, as well as the Bills and Dolphins game. Interesting. We both got the Vikings right now, how things change. But um, let me go over the NBA. Kyrie Irving making headlines, says he's not going to speak to media he called us pawns. 
called members of the media pawns. Um, well, Kyrie Irving, you're a great basketball player, but uh, the moment you struggle, you're going to see media flame you, deservedly so, because if you flame them undeservedly so, they're going to love to take a shot at you whenever they can, as long as it's deserved. So Kyrie Irving is upping the pressure on himself and the Nets. This is probably the most important season for the Nets in their history, the highest expectations. And to be worth the hype, the Nets have got to make it to the NBA Finals, I think. I don't even think they can make – I don't even think a conference finals is enough for all the hype and all the talk that Kyrie is putting out there and, and, and Durant and uh, talks of getting Harden. They've got to make it to the Finals to be worth the hype. Probably got to win the Finals, really, to be truly worth it. It's a lot of pressure. They're writing checks. Maybe they can't cash. What do you make of the Nets right now and Irving's talk? Kyrie Irving is carrying himself like the, what is it, the stereotypical superstar that you may see on TV. The one that is all about himself, is all about what he does on the court. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He believes that for him to play his best game, he does not have to talk to media. But the problem is, is that that is in his contract to talk to media. He he could, honestly, if he wanted to, he could just sit there and give the most cliche PR answers and fill, fulfill his obligations. But he won't even do that. And I find that a bit crazy to me because he hasn't played in over two years. So he just feel if he feels like media is the problem, I think he's got to look at himself in the mirror and say, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm not as receptive to other players as I probably should be. The case in point with LeBron and him being the number one guy in, in the Celtics. Both both things ended up flaming out. So now with the Nets. There's all these storylines and all this hype, especially with Steve Nash being the head coach and how bold of a choice that was. And so what they have to do to fulfill the hype is I completely agree. They have to win. They have to, Kevin Durant has to go out there and prove why he is probably the best scorer in the NBA. Kyrie Irving has to go out there and prove why he's the top five point guard in the NBA. And then their depth has to show up and Steve Nash has to impress them all with his scheming and how he fits as a head coach. Cause honestly, it could be the other way around with him and his assistant and Mike D'Antoni as a head coach. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, Steve Nash, I'm not, he's not really the head coach. We're all the head coach or whatever the heck. Irving not, Durant uh, That's uh, stupidity. Um, uh, you know, he's not even really the head coach. We're all head coach. No, you know, they just have, they're going to go down in flames. The Nets. There's no way this works and gets a championship to Brooklyn. There's just no way. The culture it's is the best so shot off. that they're going to have. I'll tell you that right now. The culture is so off with this team. They, they hate each other right now and they're going to, and everybody hates them. That's the other thing. Everybody hates them and wants to beat they them. They hate each other, but everyone does hate them. Yes. You don't think that, I mean, when Irving talks like he's better than everyone else, the bench guys aren't going to like what they, you know, they're not going to like to hear that. Like it's one thing to know you're better. It's another thing to basically say you're the best. And that's what Irving, Irving does. You know, Ir- Irving, let's talk about another thing with him. His ridiculous statement that, 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 uh, he, this is the only time in his career he looks to his left and sees another guy that can close a game. You had LeBron James by your side, the second best player of all time. And he's the reason you, you, you got where you are, Kyrie, because you can't hack it as a number one anywhere else. You can't hack it as number one here in Brooklyn either. You have to be Durant's sidekick. Like, Kyrie's a great player, but he's not an all-timer. And he talks like he is. And it's just so infuriating. And I don't see this Brooklyn team. I see him winning. I see him making, winning a couple of playoff rounds. They're not winning a championship with this culture, and especially now if they bring James Harden into it, who I like, but I see as a terrible fit there. I, I'll say this. Um, Kyrie, uh, there's always been this narrative of the media like stirring stuff up with Kyrie. I think a lot of it is Kyrie bringing headlines onto himself with his yeah. 
act in Cleveland, his act in Boston, what he's done so far with the Nets, how he conducts himself in interviews on ESPN, now with the whole media silence, all and the earth is flat thing. All of this he brought upon himself. No one created this for him. He's bringing all this upon himself. I've never seen fans want to like someone more than Kyrie Irving, and he's given every possible reason why they shouldn't like Kyrie Irving. So that's how yeah. I see it. Well, it's your job to talk to the media, and you know what? It's our job to cover you and uh, and to and to publicize you and make you act to be the star that you are. If not for media, you wouldn't be where you are today. It's a symbiotic relationship. We need you to talk to make you look good. Uh, you know, when you do good stuff, yeah, if you do something bad, we're going to have to report on it. But he wouldn't be where he is if not for media. So to call media pawns is beyond disrespectful. He's been fined $25,000 along with the Nets uh, as a franchise for failure to comply with the league's media rules. It's a rule and they're breaking it. And, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving just continuing to become more and more disliked, you know, around NBA. It just, it's, it's, it's why this team isn't going to hit the potential it needs to, in my opinion. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll see if this, I, I, I'm, I cannot wait to see Kyrie and KD play in Brooklyn uniform. I actually am very excited to see it. I'm excited to see it. They'll be, they'll, they'll have good on field moments, on court moments, but uh, they're not going to reach the promised land. I know all about teams, big names who start all start with infighting and uh, maybe are a little poorly coached when it comes to accountability. I know all about that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't always end well. Let me just say that. But um, James Harden, he reported to camp. I think the Rockets, they're probably going to start the season with him because I just don't see their – they don't see the trade market for him as they want to see it. Uh, they're not getting the massive return they need. Um, they're going to take their time. They, you know, they, they have every right to, but the price is probably only going to drop over time. So they should probably look to move Harden as soon as possible – I don't think they're going to suddenly get more. I think Harden's value is what it is. And whatever they're going to get for him, they're going to get for him now. They're going to get for him six months down the line, maybe less. So um, I think the Rockets got to look to move him. They said Sixers. They said Nets. They said Bucks. They said Heat. Uh, four teams in the East that he's interested in. Um, I mean, I guess the Bucks are the best fit, but or the Sixers if they traded Simmons, but they're not going to want to do that. It's kind of hard to find a fit for him, no? Ooh. Uh, the thing is, James Harden, it's like he has to – if he wants to succeed, he's got to be the ball-dominant guy that he's been for the longest time in Houston. So with the Nets, it's almost like I don't know how much he would get the ball because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving also need the ball. So that's why it would be such a tough fit there. But – in terms of Harden, maybe maybe a team that I could see him fitting with is your Sixers because I think he can provide that shooting that's not always there all the time with Joel and Ben. So if he can take that role and still be able to get Joel and Ben the ball to handle, I think that can actually work. It's, it would never happen, though. That's the thing. It would never – there's no – why would the Rockets take a deal essentially with – I don't even know what the best chip would be. They wouldn't even want Tobias Harris probably because that's a big contract and they're trying to tank. You know, I don't even know what the Sixers could offer other than Ben Simmons in the deal. And Maury doesn't want to move Simmons. And I think right now the only move I would ever move him for is for James Harden. But even still, it would take some convincing. You know, like I'd have to think about it. It would have to be basically Simmons and not much else. I wouldn't give up much more else. Um, you know, I'd love to see it. But I don't know. It's it's tough to find a fit for him. I think when Harden ultimately does go, they're going to get less than they had hoped for in return. So uh, 
interesting there with uh, with the Harden sweepstakes. I don't know if the Nets are a fit. I don't know where he's going to go. But let's do a quick little MLB whip around. A couple of minor moves. White Sox acquired Lance Lynn from the Rangers. Uh, quick analysis on that. I mean, White Sox are a playoff team, yes, but they also got a new manager who's controversial, to say the least. And uh, Lance Lynn, good the last couple of years. Do you think he keeps it going? Does this make them better? Yes. I think that – I think it makes them a world better. I think that if, if Lance Lynn seems to really thrive in more smaller market areas as opposed to bigger market areas. So if they can get the same Lance Lynn they got from Texas, because something really clicked in his mind when he was with the Rangers, then that team can go from very good to great. Because you need, like I've said before, you need as much depth pitching as you can get in the postseason. And now you have a guy like Lucas Giolito. You have a guy like Lance Lynn. You have a guy... You can try to get the most you can out of Dallas Keuchel, but now you also have a guy returning like Michael Kopech, who I've been dying to see because that man throws about 104 miles an hour. So with that, and then with all the young pieces they have offensively, I think this team is definitely in line to win the AL Central. They also signed uh, Adam. A- Adam, uh, this 14-year-old Drake LaRoche is a clubhouse leader, Eaton. Uh, Adam, Adam, clubhouse cancer, Eaton, who has beef with Todd Frazier, has beef with with plenty other players, uh, Adam Spanky Eaton, as he's as he's known uh, online. Why? Just why? Eight million dollars, no less. Not a guy I want on my team. I see it working great with Tony Larusa. I say with all the sarcasm in the world. I, I don't know if I agree with uh, bringing an Adam Spanky Eaton and uh, Mister. Uh, this fourteen-year-old is a clubhouse leader. Uh, what a shame he's gone. Um, Shtick. Adam Eaton's a Adam Eaton's just a clown show sometimes. I don't see him in Chicago reunion going well. And he's not really a good player anymore either, quite frankly. Um, $8 million? I don't know. White Sox confuse me. That's all I got on that. They, they confuse me. I think I, this team just has all the pieces still in place. Even, even with the minor move of Adam Eaton, this team has all the pieces in place to win the Central. Well, yeah, the Central is the worst division in baseball. It's the NFC East of baseball. It stinks. Yes. It's got the KC Royals who, oh, their big move was signing over the hill Carlos Santana for a two-year deal. And uh, they have uh, the Indians who are tanking, essentially. They're selling Francisco Lindor, the best player in the division. They're selling him. Um, they're going to give him the highest bidder, essentially. Uh, who knows? Maybe Ramirez is next. The Indians aren't a real threat then if they're selling those guys. And the Royals aren't. The Tigers certainly aren't yet. They have prospects, but no real structure. The central is just a weak division. So I don't know. The White Sox are just, they're baffling to me. But um, moving forward, interesting to see some spending uh, from some teams. White Sox giving $8 million to Eaton. Um, Mets rumored to be in on James McCann. Although that's kind of coming apart the last couple of days. Other teams still in the mix. And then other teams um, rumored to be pinch, pinching pennies and cutting costs. And I think it's frustrating when you see a team like the Phillies who one year ago signed Zach Wheeler, a big move for them. And then a year later, there's talk that after one down fiscal year, economic year, that he might be on the block. That's not how you do business. The Phillies are going to make all this money back. And same with the Yankees. The Yankees, um, you know, we'll spend what we have to uh, to keep DJ and Britain around, but we're not going to add anything. And uh, we're going to let Masahiro Tanaka leave. And we're not going to fill the void in the rotation for much more than like $2 million because we can't spend that. I mean, the Yankees are printing money. And it's frustrating when you see the Mets, who now have all, 
money, the richest owner in baseball, and they're they're throwing money around willy nilly. Yankees and Phillies are cutting costs. Look at what the Red Sox did last year. They let Mookie Betts go, the best player, the second best player in the American League, maybe in baseball. They let him go just because they didn't want to pay him. And now he's a World Series champion again with LA. Like the problem with these teams, and it's this is coming from a Yankees fan. Do you want to ring or, or do you want to spend, do you want to save your money for another yacht? And you know, I got news for you too, Yankees. If you win a World Series, same for the Phillies, you're probably going to get a lot of money too. You're going to make it all back. You got to give to get. And the Yankees and the Phillies and the Red Sox not spending, it's, it's baffling when they spend what they want to, but nothing more to get them over the top. And that's why these teams are kind of stuck in neutral right now. It's frustrating. I, and what's your read on it as a Yankees fan, Jordan, when you hear, well, we're going to do what we can to keep DJ. That was Cashman the other day. Do what you can. He's an MVP candidate and the leader of your team. Don't do what you can. Keep him around. It, it, I think it just comes down to pride and overall sense of ego and wanting to keep it the way that it has always been. So I think that it's it's really all about that and just restoring reputation and, and things of that nature. I think they they see if if they if for some reason the Yankees see if they if they try to spend over those self-imposed limits that you always talk about that it doesn't fit well with their culture. And I just think that they have to kind of readjust their culture now because you're seeing a team like the Rays willing to adapt to a new culture and able to get them to new heights and success, even with the terrible call of Kevin Cash in the World Series. So I think for those teams of the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Phillies, I think you can still stick to the ways that have gotten you to be where you are, but you should also adapt to the new signs of baseball. And for the Yankees' sake, sign not only DJ LeMahieu, sign not only Zach Britton, but also get back Masir Tanaka, who's been very important for your playoff success. You talk about um, the new wave here of baseball logic and whatnot. And, you know, the thing is the Rays do what they do because that's what they have to do to win. The only advantage they have over the Yankees and Red Sox and Phillies is analytics and internal stuff. That's the only edge they have. They can't attract, they can't throw $300 million at Garrett Cole. They just can't, they don't have that money, but the Yankees can. Why wouldn't you? It's just, it's silly how the, you don't have to be the Rays. You can, analytics are so helpful. I use them all the time when I'm writing. They're very helpful in telling the story. But if you have the assets to get the best players and you refuse to spend them, that's not what the analytics tell you. Analytics tell you put the best, the best team on the field. Spend the money if you have to spend the money, if you have it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a weapon you have. And the Yankees went from the best spending team in the league and the Red Sox and the Phillies, all these teams that spent all this money, now they're cheapening out a little bit. And this is why you see them not having the success recently that they need to have. How did the Dodgers win the World Series? They spent $300 million on Mookie Betts. It's what finally got them over the hump. And this is how you win. You can win with analytics on field decision-making. It's really helpful. They're, they're incredibly valuable. But you have to spend the money, too. Like, if you have it, why wouldn't you? Not, unless it is greed, it's just, it's just so frustrating. Because you see the Mets across the town saying they're going to get everybody, which they're not, but they're going to get some people. They're going to spend some money. And the Yankees might have to – they are going to have to see a good player go away because of a self-imposed limit. It's just – it's baffling. It's, it's disappointing. I, I, like, in our lifetime or in this window, I, I just really want the Yankees to finally – kind of go over the hump and really uh, just win the big one because they haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Dynasties don't happen left and right in sports really anymore. 
I'm not asking the Yankees to go 96, 98, 99, 2000, like they did back in those years. I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for a championship here. And if you just keep coming up short, I don't think cutting costs is the way to overcome that. And uh, I think it's a hard concept, but it's something that they don't seem to understand. And the Phillies don't seem to understand. If you just go all in, spend $500 million on two players, and then all of a sudden, not anymore, you know, it's, 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 it's frustrating. But then you see the Phillies just officially announced right now, with a little bit of breaking news, that Dave Dombrowski is their new president of baseball operations. And then I like that from the Phillies' perspective because he's going to spend money. He's, gonna, he's not going to cut costs. So I like the Phillies go all in here uh, moving forward again. They're not going to sell off like there was some rumors of. Just the Yankees, I got to say, I'm a little nervous about this offseason. I'm nervous that they're going to stay where they are and not get better. And that means they'll stay as an ALCS team. Um, maybe they win, maybe they win, maybe they don't. But they're not going to get over the hump unless they add, quite frankly. And I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing more I can really say. You outlined it all very eloquently, so I agree with you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're just asking for a ring here. And um, if money's what's going to get it done, money's what's going to get it done. Uh, if they let LeMahieu go, we riot as Yankees fans <laughs> online. Yeah, that would, that, would, that would probably break my heart the most. I've, I've My heart's ever been broken as a Yankees fan of DJ LeMay who walks out that Unless day. they got Francisco Lindor to be his replacement, that would be the only way it's acceptable. And who even knows if that's even possible. So that's the only way it would be acceptable, and I would have no faith in that even happening. So um, we shouldn't have to be thinking this way as Yankees fans. Yankees fans shouldn't be thinking, we only have a finite amount of money. Where is, where's it going to go? Yankees fans have no limits. Uh, and they're spending. So, um, you know, I, I don't like seeing it this way. But uh, a quick bit on the NHL, because we had some bad news last week, uh, some maybe bad news, but some good news on the new season coming in this week. Um, there's not going to be any big labor standoffs. The CBA was renewed last year. It's going to stay renewed um, in the future. The season's going to start January 13th. Um, hubs, not bubbles. So that means scheduling where a bunch of teams are going to go into a specific hub um, then they'll take a, you know, they're going to play a bunch of games against those teams, go home and quarantine. Then they'll go to a new hub. It's, it's to minimize, um, the amount of teams that are in one place at any one given time. It's smart. I mean, I guess full on bubbles weren't approved, but this is the best next best alternative. And there are some rumored division changes. Even the ones we had on the notes have been changed a little bit since then. Um, you know, and the most notable one for us Eastern fans is that the Boston Bruins and Buffalo Sabres could be coming into the East Division. Um, they're not in the Met usually. They're in the Atlantic. And that can make things more difficult for our Flyers and our Devils. Um, but, you know, all in all, I'm just excited that hockey it got, its, got its stuff together. Because last week we weren't sure what was going to happen. And uh, good on them. Uh, your thoughts on NHL, where it stands right now? I'm quite excited for it. I mean, they're smart. They are smart in marketing and, and maximizing profit potential. They understand that the bubble was wildly successful and it garnered new ratings and even new attractions as well as great quality and competitive hockey action. So they understand that they can't get the bubble again, but why not try to recreate the same atmosphere in a new way? And that's exactly what they're doing with the hub. So now with the new hubs, new divisions, I, I cannot wait to see hockey back in action once again. I'm quite excited. Yes, it's going to be fun. We'll have a little breakdown as we get closer to uh, opening day. Off season's mostly done at this point. I mean, it's pretty much all done. Uh, it's just a matter of ramping up training camps, just like the NBA did a couple weeks ago. And we're two weeks out of NBA action. 
Uh, we're what? We're a month out of hockey action. So we'll have that preview coming up shortly uh, in a future show. Um, one more thing here on college football before we go into the pick six. Um, Big Ten's removing the six-game requirement to make it into the uh, college football playoff and the championship game. So how do we evaluate now, if that's not the case, Ohio State or Indiana? Who is more worthy of representing the Big Ten? Give me your brief take on that. Oh, my God. Indiana has been a great story. They've had phenomenal success all season long. They proved they could be with the big boys. But from what I've seen, it's Ohio State. They are just clearly one of the four best teams in the country. I know they haven't played a lot of games. I know the Big Ten has a lot of people in there who are so hypocritical and not a lot of common sense. But it's got to be Ohio State. They are worthy. At this point, I have to say Ohio State. One game could change all that, but uh, at this point, yeah, I have to say Ohio State. If it is going to be only five games or six games of a season, I think they've proven it uh, moving forward. Indiana's close, but you know, no cigar. Uh, Indiana is for real. Uh, let me not yeah. let me not dispute. They like they are for real. They have some amazing talent on that team. With Michigan declining and Penn State declining, and and uh, Northwestern being maybe a flash in the pan, I think it's safe to say Indiana is the second best team in the Big Ten moving forward. You know, even into next yeah. year. Could be so, yeah. Yeah. Um, NFL pick six. We have a little shakeup. It's only a one-game shakeup, but still, it's the first time Jordan's taken full possession of first place in our little standings. By one game, he has 43 correct predictions. I have 42 correct predictions. Uh, it's been fun this year. We've been jockeying back and forth, and uh, we're, we're both pretty close on these, but let's go, let's go right into it. Uh, Vikings and Buccaneers. This one's important, believe it or not. Um for playoff standings, the Vikings, we didn't think it would be come into this point of the season, but it is. You think they uh, upset the Buccaneers moving forward and get a huge win and set the Bucks back, or you think Tom Brady bounces back? Oh, man, this is a somewhat of a toss-up now, more than it was before, but I'm going to choose the Buccaneers. I just think when it comes to late-game success, I trust Tom Brady more, and I trust the Bucks defense a little bit more, too, so... Yeah, I'm going to pick the Buccaneers, too. It might not be super convincing, but they're going to get back on track. they got to win a game eventually, and uh, this could be a time to get it. And uh, it goes into our next game because the Cardinals have the Giants. If the Vikings were to lose, like we predicted, and the Cardinals were to win, uh, Cardinals would take back over seventh place. So knowing that, Cardinals-Giants, who do you have in that one? I have the Giants. Cardinals been playing the worst stretch of football their entire season. Kyler Murray looks as inconsistent as ever. Their defense looks a little bit gashed. The Giants are riding high, and I can expect them to continue to ride even higher and win this game. It sounds crazy. I might take the Giants too, really. Um, the Cardinals, it, it comes down to them losing four out of five and, and their one win being the, the Hale Murray. Um, they, haven't just, they just haven't been that good lately. And the Giants have been a better team, and they're coming home, and that doesn't really mean much these days but with, with no fans. But I don't know. I'll take the Giants. Why not? Daniel Jones might be coming back. It's it is probably the time the Giants are going to burn us. Now that we're feeling high on them. Uh, this is kind of what they've done the last ten years. But I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope not. I'm going to hope that we see if Colt McCoy plays another game managerial successful game for him. So I think Daniel Jones will play. Me too. Yeah. Colts and Raiders. Raiders have to have this one. Ugh, let's say they get it. I'm going to go for it. I'm just so all in on this Gruden and Mayock team. I've made it this far. I can't pick against them now. They have to have it, and they're going to get it. Mark my words, Las Vegas Raiders, upset. Darren Waller had one of the most unbelievable games I've ever seen for a tight end. 45 fantasy points for me. I, I can't thank him ever enough. But It got you into the playoffs. He did, 
And, and I thank him for that, but I am not picking the Raiders. I am picking the Colts. Their defense will bounce back. The Raiders have been sliding. They still didn't look that great in the Jets game. No. <laughs> and I believe the Colts will have this one pretty easily. It's the smart pick. The Raiders haven't been that good lately. They've had two bad games, but I don't know. I'm going with my heart on this one. Go Raiders. Oh. Washington at 49ers, 430 game. This one's big, especially with that Giants game in flux. We don't know who's going to win that one. Washington's playing better than the Niners right now. They both have good defenses. This is going to be low scoring. What do you, who do you think has more points in the end, though? I believe – oh, my God. This is a lot closer. This is going to be one of those Jordan Wolf ties. No, 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 no. I'm not picking a tie here. I'm going to pick a clear winner. And I think that winner will upset me. It's going to be the Washington football team. I just really? I see them – I for some reason in my, in my gut, I see them making enough plays more than Nick Mullins and that offense can to win the game. So that's why I picked them. I'll pick the Niners because I mentioned the uh, football team's game plan. A lot of times it's short passes and relying on tackling from linebackers on defense to get you down. I think the Niners linebackers, the Fred Warners and the D- the secondary they have, Quisky Tart and, and Richard Sherman, I think they can handle the dink and dunk. Uh, I think uh, the Niners will take this one playing in Glendale. Hopefully they can take it for a Giants' sake. Uh, Sunday Night Football, NBC, a good one. Steelers, Bills. Uh, this one kind of came up out of nowhere. I didn't really realize it was going to happen until I saw the schedule this week. They got to do a better job promoting that because that's a big time game. The Steelers now have a loss. Bills, they're coming off a win. I uh, think the Steelers get make it. Do you think they double their loss column to 11 and 2? Yep. I, I see an upset coming here. I believe the Bills are playing their best Chester football right now. Josh Allen's been on another level and really excelling his own play to be maybe considered a top five QB in this league. And as far as the Bills' defense, they played a lot better. And I think their defense can actually contest what the Steelers do on offense. And the Steelers' defensive injuries, I think, will bite them. And the, and the it will be a high score. I think it's going to be a, a mid, score, mid to high scoring game, and the Bills are going to edge them out. I'm going back and forth on this because the Bills' defense isn't as good as it should be. But the Steelers have a lot of defensive injuries. And the offense coming off a low point last week, this one's close. I don't know. I might go Bills just because they're the home team and uh, the Steelers have played a lot lately and traveled a lot lately with games on Wednesday and Monday and Sunday. And I'll go, I'll go Bills, but I'm, this one was tough for me. I'll go Bills though. And Monday Night Football, Ravens at Browns. This one's also interesting because uh, in the North, Browns are ahead of the Ravens and the Ravens kind of need this one to stay alive in the playoff mix. So you think they get it? Man, a lot of really toss-up good games this week. Oh, my God. If I, I told you how much I believe in the Browns again, and I got to stick with it until they prove me otherwise. So I'm going to pick the Browns in this game. It's going to be very close. The, the Ravens are coming off a very impressive win, even though against the not-so-great team, and I think it's going to help their, boost their confidence and make this game very competitive. And I think the Browns get it. And it's going to be a revenge game for the Browns, who lost to the Ravens badly in their first game of the season. Yeah, I'm having a hard time because Lamar Jackson hasn't been as dominant this year. Um, but I don't know. I got to take, I think I'll take the Ravens just because they have to have it. Uh, it's Monday night lights. I think they'll get their act together. I just trust them in a big game scenario more than the Browns do than I do the Browns. Uh, it's something personal, really. I just, I just trust the Ravens a little bit more, but uh, they didn't need a big game from Lamar Jackson. He hasn't been as quite as electric this year. They need a big one from him. Uh, we'll see if they get it. That's the pick six, a little bit of differentiation here and there. We'll see if it 
leads to any shakeup in our standings moving forward. But um, that's that's all we got for the show. So I hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, could be a uh, sat- uh, next week's Friday show. Then there's going to be maybe a Saturday or a Wednesday based around Christmas time. Uh, but next week's show will still be Friday. So uh, same time, same place. You know where to find us by now. But for Jordan Wolf, I'm Tom Krasnowski. This has been Overtime Radio. Uh, keep it with us and stay safe, everybody.